Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Dishan Batija. He's the co-founder and CEO at Bank of Hodlers. Dishan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, me as well. I, I think what you guys are doing at uh, Bank of Hodlers is actually really quite innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. So I am born and brought up in Coimbatore in India. Okay, it's a cool. really small, it's a really small town, and um, I actually got to live uh, a fairly technology-free life. And uh, uh, my my childhood was quite eventful in the fact that um, got to spend a, a good amount of time uh, just with my peers growing up, and uh, decided to very early on uh, that I enjoyed science and engineering, and then. I, I decided to move away from Coimbatore because uh, the education quality wasn't quite as high. And I moved to the capital of the state of Tamil Nadu, which is called Chennai, okay. for, uh, for, for better coaching um, so that I could get into a premier college, uh, an engineering college in India. And uh, I ended up getting into uh, this university called BITS, which is the, the, the fifth best, uh, the top five uh, engineering schools in the country. Very cool. So what made you want to go into engineering? Um, it was primarily because I really liked disassembling and reassembling um, all the devices that were around me. I was a curious child while growing up. And uh, engineering was really exciting to me, primarily, specifically automotive engineering, because uh, I, re I really used to like the Top Gear show that Jeremy Clarkson used to host. Uh, yep. and even though that was leading towards the comedy side of uh, describing automotive engineering, uh, it, it really got me interested from, a very, from very early on. Very cool. So you get out of school. Walk me through your career up until co-founding and becoming CEO of Bank of Hodlers. Sure. So I got into uh, an engineering program and fairly early on, I realized that um, the career paths in engineering didn't really take me to where I wanted to be. And uh, I, I decided that I would like to go on and explore different career opportunities. Okay. And with that, uh, as any uh, curious student. I, I mean, I had a lot of free time. I spent a, a significant amount of time experimenting with multiple uh, options. Of course, management consulting was one such career option, but I didn't pursue it as seriously. I always saw it as, okay, if I don't figure out what I wanted to do in engineering, I could probably do a couple of years in uh, uh, a management consulting firm for me to get more time to figure things out. But fairly early on, I realized through my stint there that I really liked finance. And uh, I decided to study for CFA and I 
cleared a couple of exams by the time I was uh, through my through my pro course, and that opened up multiple financial company opportunities. And I ended up joining this um, NBFC, which is a, a lending company in India and also a private equity fund. And this was based out of Mumbai in India, which is uh, the financial hub of the country. And I was an investment associate over there for uh, straight out of college. And uh, I, I, I didn't stay there for too long, in all honesty. Uh, I, the second I joined there, I realized that I was on the right side of capitalism my entire life. And uh, it let me dive into the specifics of how I came to that uh, realization. Uh, P Piramal Capital is a $4 billion fund that uh, invests in Taiwan real estate developers. Uh, and what they would essentially do is uh, give them construction finance for completions of uh, large scale projects. So we're talking about 500 or 1000 apartments and above. Oh, wow. uh, and yeah, so the cost of capital was being factored into the cost of real estate which was working out to be roughly 30% of the cost of uh, the actual piece of property once it was passed on to the consumer. And what that resulted in is most people taking a 30 or 35 year old year mortgage as opposed to uh, a 20 year mortgage if capital was more accessible and cheaper. So with this, and, and when I say capital not being cheap, I mean, Piramal was returning 24% on their $4 billion fund. Wow. which essentially meant that they're returning a billion dollars a year with, with five people in the investment team. So uh, when I saw that number, I mean, it, it blew my mind. I couldn't believe that five people sitting in a room were creating that kind of value. Sure. And uh, that's when I realized that, you know, there's something grave. There's a, there's a big problem with the way uh, finance and, and capitalism is designed. And uh, I, I the second this was evident to me, I decided to leave Piramal and I joined a startup then. Um, I joined as their uh, head of partnerships and growth. And uh, uh, this, this startup was funded by uh, the CEO of a unicorn startup called Paytm and uh, another company that got acquired by another unicorn called Ola. And uh, yeah, very, very high profile angel investors. And during my stint over there, um, we grew the startup to a point where we secured our first round of institutional capital. We secured our Series A from a Taiwan venture capital firm as well. And then I realized over there that I wanted to come back to FinTech and uh, took a couple of months off, uh, stayed in a monastery for a bit, disconnected from the world, you know, kind of like went back to the way I was living in Coimbatore and, and boarding school specifically. Um, and during my stint there, I, I asked myself, where is disruption in finance really happening? And it was fairly evident to me that blockchain stands to change a significant amount of the way things done in, in, in the banking sector in general. So with that realization in mind, I came back and I tried to see where is it that uh, there are opportunities in the space? What, what do the early adopters uh, and people who believe in the uh, the, the ethos of decentralization really care about. And okay, if uh, now that I know what they care about, is there a market opportunity in that that hasn't been met? And that's where the Bank of Hodlers was born. Okay, so 
what exactly is it and how did you really come up with the idea and decide to just go for it? Sure. So when we look at what uh, Bitcoin and uh, any peer-to-peer payment solution does fairly well is that it solves for a few facets of retail banking. And let me break down what retail banking is. Sure. Retail banking is what the is when people interact with, let's say, Chase Bank or Citibank. And what they when you break down their services, they primarily cater to three use cases. One is they store your money safely. That's facilitated through your bank account. The next is they give you the ability for, to pay for things instantly. That's facilitated through your credit card and your debit card. And the third is if you're not using your capital, they give you the option to let it grow, grow. Or if uh, you like, uh, if you'd like a mortgage or if you like some sort of a loan, you can approach a bank and do that. So it's storage, payments, and credit. That's essentially what the retail banks solve for for most of the users. And when we looked at what Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general do fairly well, it by design solves for storage, which is inherent in the wallet structure that that's built in, as well as payments through a peer-to-peer fashion, right? Yeah. But what it doesn't do by nature is that if your capital is lying in one place, it doesn't escalate. I mean, outside, you know, the price fluctuation versus the dollar or any other currency, you're not really growing your Bitcoin holding if you're keeping it in your wallet. And on the other hand, if you're credit worthy, and you don't have, uh, there is no inherent system of getting access to credit. So with that in mind is why we've built the pla- uh, our, uh, our first product, which, which is the platform where users can borrow and lend against uh, their cryptocurrencies. And soon we're extend- extending this to uh, other digital assets, such as your index funds, your stocks, your bonds, and your mutual funds and the like. Okay, so walk me through actually getting on the system. How, how do I go about doing that? And then walk me through some, maybe a couple use cases of how people use your platform. Sure. So today, if you own Bitcoin and you need capital, you, let's say you have an unexpected expense, um, you only have one option. You can go to an exchange and you can liquidate your holdings You have to book the profits that you've made and you can expense the remaining. But that's not your, that's not the options you have with traditional asset classes. So if you own real estate, let's say you own your house, you have two options. You can either sell it or you can go to a bank and get a mortgage. We're opening the second option up. So for a user who needs capital, today you can come to the platform, deposit your cryptocurrencies and get a loan against that within 30 minutes. So it's an extremely simple use case. And on the other side, if you have capital that you're not using, you can, uh, and, and as opposed to you earning, a, a, I don't know, two or 3% on your capital, I'm not sure how much you make in your, in your savings bank account in the US, but on the platform, you don't really have to convert it to any currency. You can make uh, anywhere between 7 to 9% per annum in, in the dollar itself. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so I come to your site, I sign up for an account, I transfer my currency into 
your your platform and then I'll, I can get loans and, and kind of do a bunch of stuff around that? Um, yes. So just like how you would typically use a wallet where you have to sign up um, with a company to get a wallet, sure. you can use the wallet on the platform. Okay. And this is an interesting wallet by design. Okay. Yeah. And um, you can also get a loan and you can also earn interest. Okay. Very cool. So for people that maybe don't understand what a digital wallet or, or cryptocurrency is, do you maybe just want to quickly explain the two just so people understand fully? Sure. So PayPal is a really good example of what a digital wallet is. Sure. PayPal is a system of a peer-to-peer -peer wallet structure where um, they give you a balance and it's, uh, think of a wallet or the entire wallet structure as an Excel sheet with one column uh, storing your balance and the next column storing your username and the third column storing your password. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are just like that. Uh, instead of you having your balance in the dollar and your username as your email ID, and your password as the password you actually store. A Bitcoin wallet is exactly like that, except your balance is in Bitcoin itself. You have a public key, which is uh, equivalent to your email ID that you sign up. And you have a private key, which is equivalent to your password. The only difference here is that you're not actually dealing with a dollar. You're dealing with some sort of a cryptocurrency that's not pegged against any currency in particular. And the primary difference here, as opposed to um, a typical as opposed to PayPal, for example, is that it's not hosted by PayPal. It's hosted by many people at the same time, which inherently brings a, a better security system in place. Interesting. Okay, so I'm curious, though, to get your thoughts on just the crypto space in general, because some people obviously are 100% body in. And I think a lot more people that uh, maybe even aren't in tech seem to be interested in, in crypto a lot more. But recently, I think some people have gotten scared away from it a little bit because of some of the digital wallets and stuff getting hacked and, and other things around that. Do you want to talk about security around your guys's platform? And, and how do you do? How do you make sure that what people put into your platform is actually secure? Sure. So that's a really, really good question. Um, and security for centralized wallets is a major, major problem. Um, and you, you might think that the best companies have it figured, you know, since they, they're investing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in technology, um, you'd think that they, they and, and I'm sure they have the best engineers out there, but um, no system is 100% foolproof. Right. And what, like you can pick even the best exchanges, right? Within the last 12 months, uh, there have been ex like extremely reputed exchanges who've been compromised somehow. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's an engineering problem, but sometimes it's also the fact that um, the, bad actors in the space figure out how to pretend like uh, they are actually the exchange and hence fish the passwords out for users. And from uh, a security standpoint, a centralized structure is always going to be vulnerable. And right. we have designed it in such a way where not only are we not 
storing your key if you opt out of earning interest. So we don't have your key at all. Um, you're the only one who can sign, uh, sign, sign the wallet and sign, sign the transactions. And every time when you log in for the first time, we, we force you to create a wallet password. And uh, that essentially decrypts your key. And uh, we, don't, we don't have access to that passphrase. And what that means is if you lose your password, the downside is that you can't access that wallet. But the upside is no matter what happens, you're the only one who has access to your funds. And uh, if you do end up lending to the platform, how we've structured this is that it's, uh, it's a multi-signature system. So not only do we need to sign a transaction, one of the two parties, either the borrower or the lender needs to sign this as well. So it's called a two of three signature system. So that's what we've done in place. Uh, that's what we put in place uh, for, for this to work well. And we're, we're evaluating very strongly working with third party custodians um, who've, uh, who are far ahead of, in, in terms of figuring security out. And uh, yeah, we should make announcements on that very soon. Very cool. No, it's interesting. So, just so I'm clear, okay, so I create an account. I say I want to borrow money. Who am I actually borrowing the money from? Is it a third-party bank? Is it actually you guys or, or is it somebody else or how does that work? Sure. So since, we, since we're a platform, we have lenders and borrowers on it. Okay. And we don't differentiate between um, institutions and individuals. Um, of course, if let's say there's an institutional player coming and lending to the platform, they yeah. get an account manager and so on. But the experience um, is exactly the same. And okay. so when every borrower comes in, um, they get capital from the liquidity pool that we've assimilated from multiple lenders. So for a lender, not only is the loan syndicated, it's also collateralized. So as a borrower, you pledge your Bitcoin and or any other cryptocurrency for that matter and you borrow capital from the platform because again finding out who is it that you're borrowing from and at what rate um, this shouldn't really vary from a case-to-case -case basis right i mean if let's say you, there is a need for credit um, we, we try to simplify the user experience completely where um, you deposit funds in your wallet you automatically earn interest if you've opted in and if you'd like a line of credit you have to just probably just tell us how much is it that you'd like to borrow. And within 30 minutes, it ideally hits your bank account. That's it. It's a very simple and clear process. Two taps once you have funds in your, in the, on the platform for you to receive the loan. And this capital comes from all the lenders on the platform. Okay, interesting. And then, so you're, to use your line of credit example, so I get a line of credit from you guys Take in within 30 minutes. How do I actually go about using that money? Is it just like any other line of credit from a traditional banking institution? Oh yeah, it's exactly like that. Today, the 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 lending happens um, using something called a stablecoin. Okay. So a stablecoin is, is a cryptocurrency whose price doesn't vary and it mimics the price of the dollar. So um, it operates on a blockchain, but it, you you mitigate your price risk once you're adopting it, but very soon um, once we acquire uh, uh, the the relevant licenses from a region to region basis, we're going to deal with the direct currencies of uh, our users. So um, very soon, if you are based out of the U.S. and you're taking a loan, um, we'd probably just ask you to also enter your bank information so that the money enters your bank account, just uh, like a typical loan. 
Okay, interesting. Okay, so if I want to be a lender on the platform, how do I go about doing that? Uh, today, if you'd like to be a lender on the platform, you can lend cryptocurrencies. Uh, so this would in include uh, your fluctuating cryptocurrencies, which, which would be most of them. It could be stable coins as well. And what we're going to open up very soon is the fact is for you to be able to lend using uh, via an ACH transfer to a corporate account. And uh, you, you'd see that money on the dashboard. Uh, we'd create a wallet on your behalf. It would display the balance that you'd have. Uh, think of it like recharging your PayPal wallet. Okay. Uh, it would be exactly the same uh, experience from that standpoint. Okay. And then do I, have, do I have a minimum and a maximum amount of money that I can lend? No, there are no caps. It's completely open as long as uh, you're uh, submitting your KYC information because uh, that's uh, something that regulators are really wary about. You don't want this money being misused or you, you want to ensure that this money is not is coming from the right sources as long as uh, we are compliant and the users are compliant from a KYC standpoint, there, is, there are no restrictions. Okay, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into how you actually got the platform built. Did you guys raise some money? Did you bootstrap or, or walk us through actually funding uh, the first version or two of the, the platform? Sure. So we've, we're, we're bootstrapped till date and we're still closing our first round of funding. Okay. Um, Sanju and I, Sanju is my co-founder. Both of us have infused um, a significant amount of our savings uh, into the, into the, into building the platform. And it took us, I mean, we started mid last year and okay. we got a private alpha out sometime in January. Okay. And uh, based on the feedback we received, we had to go back to the board and, and, and fix the user experience uh, bit of it primarily. So initially we were a one-to-one -one peer to peer payment platform without the syndication. And what that meant is a, a borrower uh, had to jump through a few hoops to uh, to actually receive the loan and the lender uh, had to there was there were unnecessary barriers is what we later learned and with with the information we we received in January we went back and we re-engineered our platform and we launched it sometime in uh, I think towards the end of April so it's been up for about 45 days and uh, with that traction uh, we we've seen significant amount of angel uh, interest based out of uh, Asia specifically. And uh, where we've actually signed a term sheet and we've started receiving money for our first round right now. Very cool. No, that's that's awesome. Um, so you guys also are, are coming up with or about to launch in the near future what, what seems to be like a, a credit card. Do you want to talk about what that is and, and pretend, well, I'm assuming if you have a, a rough uh, time range of when that's coming out? Sure. So we're we're trying to replace um, a retail bank for people who want to let go of the traditional banks. And when we looked at banking, um, we, there are a few primary uh, there are a few primary verticals that we need to solve for, or a few few primary services that we need to uh, cater to for people to actually make that leap. So one is uh, they need some sort of a bank account. Uh, of course, a wallet is the first step, but you can't really make that your salaried account. So storage of money needs to be solved for. 
And the next is a payment solution that needs to be solved for as well. So uh, when we looked at payments and how that works, um, if let's say there's a wallet structure like PayPal, and let's say your entire network is on the is has adopted it, it works fairly well. But if let's say you're trying to pay a business or a restaurant for that matter, um, the the model doesn't really work. And that's where cards come in. Cards do a phenomenal job at uh, making payments to businesses, making a transaction online when you want to when you want to purchase something. And that's where we see uh, uh, a card being the the bridging the gap between uh, ensuring that you know users don't have to really uh, trade off what any any sort of an experience uh, for them to actually replace. Uh, the, the traditional bank. So what that, the expecting users to uh, change you behavior just to adopt a, a different kind of a technology is an unreasonable ask according to us. And sure. that's precisely why we're 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 uh, building the the credit card system because people are so comfortable with it. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. And you're right. It, it's it's such a common thing, even if it is very archaic to to want that, right? And so I, I yeah, that's interesting. So is that coming in kind of 2019 or, or you don't know yet? So it's going to be most likely towards the end of 2019 or Q1 2020. Okay. It's going to be a function of when we get our approvals in place for us to um, issue the same. So um, it's fairly expensive to get the right licenses for this. And uh, not only is it expensive, it also takes a significant amount of time. Sure. So we're in the process of submitting our paperwork, and we uh, we've been told by our, our 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 legal team that it takes anywhere between two to three quarters. So oh, wow. um, the okay. second we have our so the second we have our approvals in place, it should take us just a couple of months to to start rolling it out. Okay. No, that that makes total sense. So I'm I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about the the space, the crypto kind of blockchain space? And obviously nobody knows necessarily where it's going to go. I, I personally think it's going to have a major role in, in the future. But do you maybe want to just talk about and give your thoughts on where you potentially see crypto and, and the block and blockchain going in, in the future? Absolutely. So... Before we can probably touch on where we see blockchain go, just to give context, sure. um, let me let me just get into the let me quickly summarize what Bitcoin does extremely well. Sure. And what and and when I say Bitcoin, I'm really referring to any permissionless uh, cryptocurrency solution. But for simplicity, let's just go with Bitcoin. Sure. Uh, for the first time in the history of the world, users can truly be owners of their asset. And this is without anybody's permission. Uh, so let me give you an example. Today, if you owned money in your bank account, and let's say the government decides that um, there is some problem, even though there may not be, they can close your bank account, right? They can, right. Uh, they can tell the bank to close your bank account. Similarly, uh, if let's say you have a piece of real estate that is of interest to the government, they have a they have a clear process on how they can seize that piece of real estate, right? Right. But um, there's nothing that anybody can do to really get ownership of your 
uh, cryptocurrencies. And that's extremely empowering for a user because um, it's, you can be the owner of your assets for the first time. And, and with this in mind, uh, how we see permissionless um, financial solutions going forward is, is that uh, I think it's still fairly early on in terms of the adoption. I don't think it's um, near mainstream in terms of it being a viable payment solution for two reasons. One is technological scalability and the next being um, the regulatory uncertainty from a region to region basis. But um, I think the, the technology, technology scalability question is something that uh, we have some of the best minds working on that. So it's only a function of time till we figure that out. And regulatory is, is the other uh, side of it. And that's where we come in, right? I mean, if let's say certain governments don't uh, accept uh, cryptocurrencies as, as legal tender or as a currency, we treat it as an asset and we offer financial like credit against that. And that's how it solves for payment in those regions. Oh, but um, what, so what, what, what Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies really, really solve for is a, a, a way for users to bank without the need to, to, to use any single entity or without, without the need for uh, users to really have permission from any government or the like. And um, we see the killer, we don't think the killer app for, uh, I would say blockchains, especially permissionless blockchains becoming mainstream um, is built yet, or at least it's, be in, it's in the process of being built. And um, you can draw a parallel between um, what email did for the internet and um, what, is, what, what is that application going to be? And we think that application is going to be some sort of a, a payment solution. It has to be in the financial space because blockchains, especially permissionless blockchains, do a uh, few things extremely well. And in any other use case, they're just a terrible database. They're a very inefficient and slow database. So those use cases come around um, um, decentralization of, of uh, trust and decentralization of uh, permission. And the, the direct example of uh, or, or the, the most direct use case of this is in the financial world. And I think it's about time till we see disruption in that space. And there are a few really, really good uh, fintech companies that are being built over uh, permissionless blockchains and we're extremely bullish on that but from a broader sense i mean i can't i can't say uh, with absolute certainty that most governments are going to be uh, proactively accepting cryptocurrencies because with uh, given how new it is people are especially governments may or may not be comfortable um, with giving up on I would say, see, you don't have control over money coming in and money coming out of the, uh, of, uh, through the borders. And that can be scary for certain governments, right? Sure. That can be scary for governments where um, they have a reputation for money laundering or they have a, a reputation for having some sort of terrorist activity going on. So there is a case to be made for those regions for it to be strict. And, and that's a really good thing. But from a broader sense, we think that sooner or later, governments are going to come around accepting it first as a form of an asset class, which most governments have done, which, I mean, kudos to them, and, and, and very soon uh, going to accept it as a, as a form of legal tender. And I think uh, the U.S. is leading 
in terms of uh, accepting it as a form of payment. I mean, uh, very recently, a uh, few governments uh, allow users to file their taxes in using cryptocurrencies. Uh, I think AT&T has opened up uh, allowing payments to be done through cryptocurrencies, and that's tremendous progress. And we sure. see uh, the payment solution around using permissionless blockchains to really drive this moving forward. So do you think part of the reason these big organizations are adopting this uh, crypto pretty fast is because they either have to or they're trying to be innovative and keep up with the times? Or, or do you think it's partly, you know, a lot of them have kind of very technical people on the staff that are pushing for this? Or do you think it's potentially all of the above? Um, I think it's a combination of uh, all of the above, as well as um, the additional PR coverage that they get with adopting this, right? Uh, I mean, okay. it's a lot of free press. And um, if, let's say, if you if you spend a little time on Reddit, or if you spend, uh, if you follow the crypto folks in, on Twitter, I mean, we love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's it's extremely great for us to listen listen to the fact that you know adoption is growing. So it's a lot of free press. Whether or, whether or not this becomes a, a significant contributor to their uh, payment channels, I mean you have to also turn around this uh, situation and see whether this makes financial sense for them. And I and and a very strong case can be made that it does, because if let's say you're accepting payments through a credit card, any merchant needs to pay anywhere between 2 to 2.75% on uh, uh, on the transaction to either Visa or MasterCard, right, for the payment right. process. And, and when you look at the fees associated with cryptocurrencies, it's it's a fraction of that. It's extremely lower. And if, uh, it's, ex- it's much, much lower. So if, let's say, a business accepts a couple billion dollars a year, you're looking at savings in the range of, uh, assuming 100% adoption, we're looking at savings in the range of, uh, $30 million. Yeah. Wow. Right. That's a huge number. Yeah. 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 But it, it's also added to the points you mentioned. It's also the, the, the goodwill and the PR coverage that, um, these, these companies get. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. That's interesting. Is there anything that you want to tell people that are maybe scared because of, you know, the, wallets getting hacked and stuff like that. Do you want to talk about some of the rationale behind kind of, well, you know, everything can potentially get hacked and, and people should kind of look past past that and actually start putting their money into crypto? Maybe not like a ton of money or their life savings, but maybe even if it's, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something. Oh, yeah. So regarding people being afraid of um, security vulnerabilities with exchanges, I think it's it's quite justified because exchanges do get hacked. And one has to factor in that we're still in very early days for uh, the crypto world. And uh, all I have to say for anybody considering adopting is try to use a wallet system where you have access to your private key and preferably if the company doesn't or if the company uses something called a multi-signature wallet, which is they don't have the complete signing authority to withdraw the funds unless you do as well. Um, You also want to uh, ensure that you're you're activating two-factor authentication on your wallets, which is um, 
the fact that you have to have your mobile phone around or some sort of a device around for you to approve withdrawals um you you users definitely should in my perspective try using it i mean a couple hundred dollars um i have put in roughly 10% of my savings but okay. and i think most people should have uh, it's a hedge against uh, it's it's a hedge against the current banking system and if let's say you even put one or two percent of your savings in it um you never know right i mean that's it's it's insignificant in in the larger sense for you which uh, and the upside could be it could be huge because if let's say this tends to um reach worldwide adoption and becomes you as a ubiquitous form of payment this is going to outstrip um any sort of a return that you could get anywhere else sure so the risk is um is in in you have to just mitigate your risk in, in by following uh, the steps which is ensure that you have access to your private key or store it in a multi signature account as well as act, uh, activate two factor authentication and uh, have a little exposure it, just to try it out you'll see that it's it's a significant uh, it's a much it's it's a much cheaper way to make transactions happen in general your fees are completely cut out especially if you're making transactions overseas my god it's instant and it's 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 negligible the fees are negligible it's it's really it's really amazing i i would strongly urge people to just put a couple hundred dollars and try it out no i i think that's that's really good advice but we're kind of coming to the end of the show is there anything else that you want to talk about or mention before we close out the show um nothing in particular i would um really like feedback of uh, the users i mean if you can you can write to me at uh, hello at bankofallers.com with the feedback on the platform where i mean we've been live for roughly 45 days and we're growing by um i think about uh, 3% of our user base on a daily basis well wow, that's and great and this is yeah this is all without um, any sort of a marketing spend and uh, we just want to make a really good product out there and we would really appreciate people uh, just just sharing their thoughts on uh, user experience or um what on or what we're doing uh, we would really appreciate that and do you want to just mention the url and any other links you want to mention that people can get more information about you guys sure so we're called the bank of hodlers that is bank b a n k of and hodlers hodlers is spelled as h o d l e r s and uh, it the domain is bankofhodlers.com Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time into your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.